0: Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the e commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And man, to say that I'm excited about this podcast would be uh, a really gross understatement. I am pumped about this podcast. Uh, this guest is a good friend of mine, and he knows how to bring it on a podcast because he hosts arguably the most popular, the best, the biggest e commerce podcast in the world. Uh, also runs uh, an amazing community of seven-figure e-commerce store owners. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Andrew Udarian, founder of e-commerce fuel. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce. If you're selling a significant amount on Amazon and you're not running retargeting ads, you probably should be. Retargeting ads are not new for online marketers by any means, but... If you're selling on Amazon, your retargeting options up to this point have been extremely limited. Enter Amazon DSP ads. If you haven't heard of Amazon DSP ads, or if you're not taking advantage of them, you should probably listen up. Amazon DSP, stands for demand side platform, allows you to run display ads on amazon.com and across the web to woo back shoppers if they visit your product listings and do not buy. But it gets better. You can also target people who visit your competitor's products or similar ASINs and don't buy. And you can target them with display ads on Amazon.com and across the web. And those are just a few of the audiences you can build and target through Amazon DSP. So if that sounds interesting, you have two options. You can either work directly with Amazon, but their minimums are quite steep often to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. Or you can work with an agency like OMG Commerce and potentially avoid those minimums. If you want to know more, visit OMG Commerce and click on the Amazon Advertising tab. And now, back to the show. Uh, Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks for making the time and excited to be digging into a really interesting and intriguing topic with you.
1: Yeah. Thanks, man. I'm pumped to be here. And I uh, appreciate the kind of intro. Definitely, absolutely not the best podcast in e-commerce. There's a ton of good competition out there now. There actually but, are uh, some really good podcasts. But
0: yours is one yeah. of the first. I mean, yours is one of like, you were the, the trailblazer.
1: What I make up for in talent and knowledge, I try to make up for in just tenure and raw grit, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's, that's kind of, I guess, my MO. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, uh, and it's been a little while since you've been on the podcast. Um, for those that are watching the video, I think we would be doing a a disservice if we didn't talk about that amazing artwork that's behind you. So can you tell the the quick story of the e-commerce fuel uh, uh, artwork behind you?
1: Yes, let's try to get away here. The artwork is... uh, There's a guy who was a a podcast listener way back in the day and um, he's coming through Bozo and he's like, hey, do you want to have dinner? And I was like, yeah, I can meet for dinner. And so we meet and at the very end, he's like, I got a present for you. He pulls this out. And I was like, where did you, you get this? And he was a chainsaw artist. So he carved it, you know, he like just fired up the chainsaw, got a piece of wood and that yep. was his thing. And so I thought it was pretty awesome. So I hung it in my Go,
0: Going to meet you, Darian. Let's let's do some chainsaw art. Uh, <laughs> that, it's amazing. I mean, it looks really good. It's, it, uh, I don't know how you get that level of detail with a chainsaw, but it's a beautiful yeah. rendition in a block of wood of the e-commerce tool logo. Brilliant. I definitely want more chainsaw art in my office. Yeah, uh, the world needs some more chainsaw art. Yeah, For sure. For sure. I mean, that would solve a lot of problems, no doubt. So, so Andrew, uh, you're running this amazing podcast. You've got this community of seven-figure store owners. I'm part of that community. I get to hang out and listen to some discussions and some really, really smart people. Uh, a lot of dear friends of mine and, and amazing store owners are in that community. So congrats on and kudos to, to building that up to what it is today. Uh, but you do something kind of unique. You put out every year what you call the State of the Merchant. And uh, it, it's nearly as highly anticipated as the State of the Union address. I would argue. Uh, so I, I kind of like it more in some cases. And so, uh, anyway, explain explain what it is and explain why you do it and and how you go about doing it.
1: It's so it's a a survey of of store owners, kind of high six seven in some some cases low. Eight figures, just to get a sense of what's going on in e-commerce, the trends in e-commerce, particularly at that—that that, you know, I think our average store owner on the survey was about you know just under three mil, two point nine mil, yep, yep. and it's it's hard to get data on. I mean, for all practical purposes, that's a fairly small business. I mean, for if you grow growing up, sure. it's 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 a pretty big accomplishment, but in the macro scheme of things, it's fairly small. And so, getting data on those types of stores and. Uh, you know the stores I work with, the stores you work with is is tough, and so just I put it together. Uh, I bribe people with a, a round trip plane ticket anywhere in the world, and really smart uh, get data. And this year we had about four hundred people reply, uh, and yeah, so I just try to get some some trends on what's working with everything from from growth trends to margins to to advertising rates, all sorts of stuff. It's really smart, yeah, and and you're right. You know, you you look at, at things like the the IR five
0: hundred or the IR one thousand; those are still large companies, and so. Looking at these smaller companies and what what's moving the needle, what's going on, you know everything from the platform they're on to how Amazon is impacting them to what ad uh, what advertising vehicles are working well for them. You kind of cover it all, and it's it's really interesting to see and and brilliant idea on the trip. So you incentivize it by some lucky person who fills out the the survey gets a trip anywhere they want to go.
1: They, yeah, anywhere anywhere in the world, it's up to $1,500 round trip. And so, nice. uh, yeah, I think the last two people, one went one went to Europe for a week and a half. The other person went to uh, all over the place. They bounced like from multiple continents. Yeah, so just, you know, uh, a plane ticket on uh, ECF to go explore.
0: So. Sweet. Yep, smart idea. And they get the data uh, to boot. And so that's a really, really good approach. Well, let, let's dive in. There, there's several things that, that you put in the State of the Merchant Report that I thought were fascinating that I want to dive into get your get your take on maybe get some of the backstory behind it so we can hypothesize as to the why on some of these and some of these will be kind of rapid fire some will be we'll kind of dig into a little bit but my first question for you Andrew is as we look at the data uh, is drop shipping as a business model is it
1: dead Uh, I don't think it's dead. It's funny, I feel like this last week doing podcasts, I uh, talked to a bunch of at least two people who are still running very profitable uh, dropshipping businesses are actually gone that direction. And so I don't think it's dead. uh, But I do think a lot of people who have have put up just non-differentiated dropshipping businesses are getting destroyed by Amazon. And so you look at the stats year over year... The number of dropshipping businesses got cut in half. You know, I think this year it represented about eight percent of of the business models. Last year it was sixteen percent, and you know most of those. So so
0: half of the people dropship only last year are effectively
1: gone out of business. Yes, not around. Yes, exactly. And so it's. I think it's. It's not dead because you still have people doing it, and the people that have that are doing it actually surprisingly. This this kind of surprised me. Their growth rates were some of the highest, if not the highest in. in the survey, and it seemed like some of their health metrics were, were more than you'd think. So I think it's kind of like a culling of the herd a little bit to be maybe indelicate. Uh, and you've got the ones that are surviving are doing really well, and they've you know figured out a differentiated model with dropshipping, which is can be hard to do. But the ones that didn't have that uh, value add are just you know they're just kind of falling off. So
0: it totally makes sense, and I think this is this is the trend in a lot of areas, right? And then so we'll kind of compare this to Amazon, which we'll be talking about Amazon business quite a bit, but. You know a few years ago, you could basically sell almost anything on Amazon and i'm oversimplifying, but sell anything on Amazon, put up a listing, optimize it, do some tricks with some URLs and traffic and stuff, and do really well now amazon's harder like it's harder to gain traction and to succeed on Amazon. I think the same thing is true with drop shipping it can work, but you're right you have to have a, a differentiated model. why do you exist? Why would someone choose you over just going to Amazon or buying from someone else that's that's selling those products and so um, yeah, I I think the advice is clear. If you're looking to get into e-commerce, don't don't uh, choose the dropship model. Uh, if you are a dropshipper, you probably want to diversify and start building your own products and your own brands uh, as well. Um, but yeah, I was also surprised by the e com- the the dropshippers that stuck around that made it actually grew quite a bit, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's. If you can get it right, it works great. If you can get an uh, exclusive distribution agreement with a, with a manufacturer who's not okay. selling online and, and you feel like it's got some, uh, some you know, long term relationship, that can work really well. I mean, really if well. I, and there's, the, there's like, a lot well, of those
0: out of there. there, there's a lot of people that don't want to do the online selling part. So if you can be that arm,
1: uh, that can work. You just got to get exclusivity and make sure they're not going to, you know, you got pricing. If you can control a distribution as a partner, it works great or some other instances. But I think the way most people do drop shipping is just, it's going to be, it's just really difficult today.
0: Totally. Totally agree. Fascinating. All right. Moving on. So what was the most surprising and or interesting on Amazon stat for you? So this was was, uh, stats for people that are selling on Amazon, either exclusively or at least uh, partially selling on Amazon. What were some of the interesting stats around that uh, for you? I
1: would say if I had to boil it down to what was the one most interesting takeaway or trend from this year's report, and it's Amazon related, is that the adoption, Amazon adoption by store owners of this size has has plateaued. And so if you look at, we'll look at a couple different metrics. If you look at the number of merchants selling on Amazon, two years ago it was 49%. Last year it was 55%. Uh, and so a pretty big jump. This year, it went from you know, year over year, 55.2 to 55.8. Barely crept up. And same thing if you look at the group sales from Amazon. Um, those actually also had a really steep plateau. And if you actually look at the, the growth of stores... So if you, if you compare the growth, growth of stores selling on Amazon versus not, uh, for the first time ever... Ah, uh, stores that were on Amazon grew actually more slowly than those that were off Amazon. So I think uh, you're selling on Amazon as a as a cohort. Those grew about 35 percent this year. If you weren't selling on Amazon, you were growing at about 36 percent this year. So a very small, probably you know yeah. statistically insignificant difference. But the fact that. There. You know, it, even out last year there was a big difference. There was a ten percent difference between those two, and so so, uh, so I,
0: last I, year those businesses that were selling on Amazon grew ten percent faster than those that were not. Exactly forty one percent versus thirty percent.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Interesting, and so I, I think it's totally fascinating. So uh, you look at at seventeen or sixteen to seventeen, um, the the number of of sellers getting on the Amazon platform grew substantially. Am I getting my years right? And then uh, seventeen to eighteen. So seventeen to eighteen, and then yeah. eighteen to nineteen. Yeah, yeah. And then from eighteen to nineteen, essentially no growth in terms of people e-commerce sellers getting on the Amazon platform. So those who were not selling on Amazon in eighteen probably weren't in nineteen either, according to to your data set, which is a pretty significant group of people. Um, a nice little nice little cross section. So any any. Thoughts, theories, pontifications, any, anything
1: interesting to draw from that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, anecdotally, uh, I'd be interested to see what you've seen, Brett, but I see a lot more and more people, at a minimum, people that are on Amazon saying, man, like this is a, it's more of a mixed bag than I thought, you know, between the fact that uh, you don't have customer information, you have a lot of channel risk. Uh, potentially, Amazon is going to start, you know, has a pretty bad reputation and in many cases has... You know, taking data from your best-selling products and brought those in-house to private label. To the fact that you're helping, you know, all these different reasons why Amazon is the ultimate frenemy. Which most people listening, I don't necessarily have to go over. Uh, Those have have been getting more, you know, more intense. And I think the people, so the people on the platform are thinking, "Man, is this?" I think twice about this. And the people off the platform are looking at some of those those issues and problems and thinking, "Huh." Maybe I, maybe I don't want to jump on there sure. right away. You I don't really want to get into this. <laughs> and yeah. some people, I think was probably the exception of the rule. But in some cases, people just decide not even to sell on Amazon at all. Counterfeiting is also another big issue. We've sure. had multiple cases in our community this year where people's business have just been wrecked by counterfeiters coming in and ruining the brand name with, in, you know, with inferior products. So yep. I think that contributes a lot to it.
0: Absolutely. It, it, potentially a Pandora's box there as you get into the Amazon channel. It's certainly a platform you can't ignore. Mm-hmm. But what strategy, strategy you adopt, I think you can make pretty strong cases in a, in a lot of directions. And and to me, I think where where this is all headed... And, and I actually just got to chat with our, our mutual friend, Mike Jackness, today. And we were talking about Amazon and, and how he's grown several businesses. And he talked about one of his businesses that he's actually sold called Color It. And they sold... uh, The products they offered were gel pens and glitter pens and coloring books and things like that. And they actually ranked very well on Amazon and sold well on Amazon. But it wasn't because of stuff they were doing on Amazon. They had built a community and a brand. And they were doing all this amazing marketing on their own website. And then when they chose to sell on Amazon, they just had a lot of people going there, um, buying. And so it was like the uh, understanding the Amazon algorithm, because Amazon loves traffic that's off Amazon, that's coming to Amazon and converting, but it was more the play was we're just building a brand and a community and people that love these products, and then yes, we'll sell products on Amazon, but we're not going to necessarily play the Amazon game. And so, yeah, there may be some people that have a legitimate reason to stay off the platform fully, but I think uh, at a minimum, you know, you got to consider it and then come up with a strategy that fits for you. And so, uh, super interesting. What what about? The most surprising off Amazon stats, so for 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 companies that aren't selling on Amazon at all, what was surprising
1: to you there? I think I think probably I would have to say the conversion rate. So last year, you know we looked at the conversion rate year over year and it jumped up pretty pretty significantly and you know it was two point six two last year up from like I think two point you know in the low twos and I was like man and this, that's just you know,
0: that's just global conversion rate on
1: someone's website
0: what What is that global number got it
1: yeah global it 's not broken out to mobile desktop that 's just your overall average uh, and this year it jumped way up again from two point six two to three percent Oh just barely over three percent three point zero two and and I think you know you look at that uh, the margins between that and like margins staying really healthy, even though there's increased competition, increased ad costs, which maybe we can talk about later, all these other things making potentially shopping online more cutthroat uh, I don't know if it's a, it's a. I don't know if it's a, uh, a function of e-commerce getting more mature, people getting more comfortable buying online, people, mo- you know, uh, if it's just um, the economy in general, but people are, you know, buying at increased rates and and uh, you know, conversion rates keep going up and it surprises me. And so between that, that was probably the most surprising uh, metric I saw of the year in terms of just the raw movement in the direction it did.
0: Yeah, really interesting. So you're talking that's what a twenty percent, about twenty percent increase in. Conversion rates so are going from point six ish to, to to a little over three. Very interesting to me. I think uh, several of those things you mentioned totally play a part. The economy is good, right? So people are buying. Um, you know, the, people are getting more used to buying online. I think it's probably also the. If you look at, at globally, a lot of sites' mobile experience is better, so that mm-hmm. that that mobile shopping and buying experience is less painful than it has been. In years past, I think that's playing a part in this as well. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting. Did anyone uh, comment on that? Have you heard any other thoughts on that increased conversion rate?
1: I, I haven't, no. Um, didn't hear a lot of other comments or, or voices on that. I, we did look for the first time ever at the average mobile conversion rate across the board, and that was 1.66%. And and obviously, that varies a lot based on, you know, as conversion rates vary widely from site to site. But I thought that was, I mean, it was, it's been a while, but the last, you know, Business I was running that was you know that was our average desktop rate and sort of see that right, on the mobile right. side. Yeah, uh,
0: it, 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 it was not okay. uncommon in years past for whatever your desktop rate is, you know, your mobile rate is a third of that or less. Mm-hmm. And I think for the numbers to work, this 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 would be this would be higher. So really really interesting to me, and I, and I think one one thing also to point out as we as we look at some of these numbers and these stats, you know, the tendency always is. How does that compare to my store? How does that compare to what I'm doing? Lots goes into this, right? You know, average order value plays into this. The 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 length of the buying cycle, all of those things play into it. So just because you're over or under that conversion rate doesn't necessarily mean um, that you're over or underperforming. But but it's certainly interesting to see where our are, where are our peers what 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 are they doing and how are they doing. So um, let's talk about so so we talked drop shipping. Let's talk about private labeling versus reselling. So now we're getting into the, hey, I'm building my own brand. I'm sourcing my own products. I'm private labeling versus I'm just reselling someone else's brands. What interesting stats did you see around those two business models?
1: Yeah, if you look at and some of these, a lot of these aren't aren't that surprising if you think about it. Like if you look at gross margin, average gross margin across the entire survey was about forty five percent. And if you look at the highest, the highest is going to be manufacturing because it's the yep. hardest, but it's it's where you can you know you're capturing You have the whole value chain and you so you get more of the value. So about fifty three percent there, where you look at drop shipping that's at thirty two, and then uh, reselling is thirty six. So uh, manufacturing is definitely the highest there. Kind of the net margins also follow. Um, and it's you know you definitely have a lot more, lot more margin and a lot more opportunity uh, for profitability on the on the manufacturing side versus dropshipping and private labels kind of in between. Uh, It's kind of a a little closer to the to the manufacturing side, but but still in between those two.
0: Yep, and and that that margin is is uh, critically important for a lot of reasons, obviously. But you know, just as you look at at growth and scale. Having a few extra percentage points of margin can make a lot of difference as you're looking at what what is my acceptable cost per acquisition, mm-hmm. what can I what can I afford to pay to scale this business? A lot of that comes back to to your
1: margins and what what you can do as far as CPA goes. So uh, that's super interesting. Yeah, it's I mean I've run a couple dropshipping retailers. That's my background, and it's. Uh, it's really hard, unless you have a really high lifetime value, it's really hard to do with paid ads because your margins tend to be on the lower side. One thing I found was interesting, though, is, is if you look at the return on ad spend by business model, roughly. Uh, manufacturing actually had the lowest return on ad spend, 3.7x versus... And- yeah, versus resellers, which had 5.7x. And I think the, if I had to guess and speculate on the reason, if you're selling Nike shoes, your margins are probably horrible, yes. right? But yes. people if they're, 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 they're searching for what they want, they're very far down in the funnel and they, there's fewer trust issues, right? Whereas if you're manufacturing something, you've got great margins. But if I'm going to buy Brett Curry's incredible uh, rib cooker you know, that you make there in, in, uh, in, in Missouri... Like, I was thinking my own sneakers, man. I was like my own, <laughs> my own basketball right. line. Man, like the beast. You know, the Curry uh, 4s. The Curry 4s. Like, <laughs>
0: the Curry 4s, <laughs> Wait a minute. Fours, wait right? a minute. Maybe know? another Curry... No, no, uh, no,
1: no. You, you penned this, man. You created this, Jonas. Uh, so he I stole feel, it from you.
0: I feel validated right now. I think I think you're right. <laughs> I need to talk to Steph,
1: dude. You are losing out on royalties. I need royalty, so get, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I need something. Uh, yeah, have your agent call Steph and figure out what the problem is. Why you haven't made an I'm, I'm on, that. I'm making a call right after this. So, uh, but yeah. you look like if you're manufacturing your own thing, unless you, you know, most manufacturers, especially in the study in that size, are not going to have well-known brands, and so there's, you know, there's a trust issue. You got to be able to. To, to get through that. So anyway, I thought that was it makes sense, but uh, at first glance, I was like, what? but
0: it it, it does, does make sense. I think there are actually two pieces to that because we we see this a lot in what we do. you know our, our business is, is largely paid ads. And so uh, we have a, we have a few clients that are successful that mainly just resell other people's stuff, you know? And so they come to us with higher return on ad spend goals, right? They say we lose money if we're below a five x. So we're like, okay, well, we'll just we're gonna only choose the channels. And choose the ad types. You know a lot of Google Shopping, a lot of Amazon sponsored products, things like that. they are going to get us that return. So I think you, know, you have those lower margins that limits what you can do on the on the advertising side. But also, you're right. If you're selling someone else's product that people know, you know it's more just a demand capture type type thing where you're, you're capturing the demand that's out there. Versus, I'm manufacturing my own shoe, my own widget, whatever. I need to educate. I need to. I need to create that trust. I need to get someone excited to buy my product. And I've got the margins to spend. So they kind of, kind of work hand in hand.
1: Yeah, I got a question for you. I mean, with, we Bet. see so many people on the. I mean, that's what you guys do. You do paid traffic. Yep. And yep. You think about a five x return on ad spend, and uh, at least 2019, that's a pretty, pretty good, pretty good benchmark when people talk about. You know, they're like, Oh, 5 like x return on ad spend, that's great. But if you think about, it, you back that out, you have to pretty much be making netting your net margins need to be 20% for that to just break even, right? Like, right. So do you feel like a lot of people come in and they don't... They're do you, How many people do you think come in and look at that return on asset number are happy but don't really realize that they're either breaking even or losing money at the end of the day? Like, Do you think a lot of people do that? Yeah,
0: I, I do think that happens. I, I think we're... Uh, this industry... Well, it's actually probably not too different from other industries. Sometimes we don't know our numbers. You know, We, we, we start doing something. We have a number in our head. We look at all the numbers at the end of the day, and we're like, "Dang, uh, more, you know, my net net was really, really poor." So, I, I think w- one of the main lessons, one of the things that I would uh, advise, you know, as as ad costs go up um, and as things just get more uh, competitive, if you have to get like a five x return on your your ad dollars, you're going to be limited. Uh, so, it's doable. Like, you you can totally do it with several channels, but. You're going to be limited. You're going to be limited to, to, to those channels, you know, like Facebook remarketing and um, sponsored products on Amazon and Google Shopping and things like that. To do, you know, YouTube to cold traffic or Facebook to cold traffic or some of these other things to try to scale, it'd be mm-hmm. really hard. It's going to it'd be really hard to do that at, at those numbers. And so I think that's again a reason why. Hey, if I'm trying to scale and build a business and and you know build either to sell or to keep. I need my margins to be good, right? Or else I can't I can't afford to advertise like I need to advertise uh, or I just need to you know, totally dominate the SEO game, which which is, is also valid. And we'll, you got an interesting stat on that too that I'm ready to dive into. Um, but yeah, I, so one, I think sometimes people don't know their numbers, to your point. And two, I think if you have to live with like a 5 to 8x return on your ad spend, you're gonna be really limited uh, on what you can do going forward. So... Good yeah, stuff. Um, uh, speaking of which, this is actually a really good time to transition. Uh, the number one traffic source. So I, I was surprised by this. You know, I go to a lot of events and, and I, I speak a decent amount. I'm always talking about Google ads or Amazon ads or something. Uh, you know, there's so much buzz about Facebook ads and stuff, which uh, rightfully so. But what was the number one traffic source for those surveyed? And, and why was this a, a surprise? Or was it a surprise for
1: you? Dude, Organic's coming for you, Brett. I don't know if you're going to be in business in a year, man. Thanks for looking bleak. Uh, so number one, uh, number one source of traffic was was organic search still. And it's, it's down from last year. And so just uh, this probably... To be fair, I should probably rephrase this in future years because it is a little confusing. So number one source of traffic, organic traffic at 48%. That doesn't mean that 48% of the cumulative overall aggregate traffic came from organic, but it means that, that 48% of merchants listed organic as their number Got one. Got it. Yeah, so it could be, could be thirty percent, but they got you know all their you know their next closest was twenty or or fifteen or something. So, but still, it's it's the primary, it's the largest chunk of traffic uh, for most store owners, which is surprising. And so, it's it's it is slowly getting eaten away at by by paid traffic. I think that was last year. It was more than half. I think uh, this last year, you know, uh, organic traffic dropped by two or three percentage points, and paid traffic went up by two or three percentage points. But uh, it's not, you know. Not as it's not eroding it as quite as quickly as I would have thought.
0: Yeah, it's really an interesting stat, and and uh, I don't know if you and I have ever talked about it, but I actually got my start in SEO. Like that was the first thing I did online was was SEO, SEO for an online print e-commerce where they sold uh, custom brochures and business cards and stuff. Uh, But anyway, so I fell in love with uh, SEO early. Like this was pre-Panda, pre-Penguin, so you could get spammy. Uh, (laughs) I was like a gray hat guy doing stuff that I thought was pretty helpful. Uh, But yeah, I had some interesting stories there for sure. Oh, I bet you'll get get some more stories from that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Do do
1: you remember quickly to interject, what happened on Penguin for you like that? such I I feel like it's still such a... a, Yeah. milestone SEO? Like, did you have a rough day that day? Uh,
0: So thankfully, no, Uh, not, not for the most part. I will tell a quick story because it'll be interesting. But uh, so, so, you know, the uh, Panda and Penguin, just a quick explanation. Panda was more about site quality. So Google looking for, are people spending a lot of time on your site? Is your, is your site content rich or is it just filled with ads or garbage? You know, so, so Panda was kind of quality. Uh, Penguin was more of an Mm overoptimization penalty. So, are you spamming the heck out of your backlinks and all this stuff? So, uh, no, for the most part. I mean, we've uh, since we started offering it as a service, we were, you know, doing doing white hat stuff and 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 following best practices. You know, for the most part and stuff. I did have a (laughs) a friend who, thankfully, he's got like this amazing business. Dude's done phenomenally well. He had a side project and he was like, Hey, let's just push this side. Let, let, let's get aggressive with this side project. So I was like, all right. So we did some pretty crazy backlinking stuff. Uh, Cause it was not his core, but like he didn't, he didn't care, you know? And uh, when, when Penguin came out, it, it torpedoed, man, you, uh, you could not, you could not uncover that site. On uh, search for it by name, type in the URL. Nope. Gone. Dead, dead in the eyes of Google. So again, this guy's like multimillionaire. And this was a, a, a Project, so it didn't matter. But, but no, our, our core clients would never dabbled with with uh, the scary stuff. Kept it clean. Nice. Kept it clean, man. Kept it clean. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's interesting. And, and, and here's, I think, a couple of points with that. Uh, one, you know, the, the platforms, Google and Facebook, respectively, have made it harder to show up organically, and 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 they, they can do that, right? They build these amazing platforms. Why not? I don't think we should get angry with them for that. Um, but. Organic still does work, and like you should still invest a little bit of time. Like have a content strategy, look at the the structure of your site to help boost organic rankings. It makes sense to invest some time into that channel, and um, you know this maybe isn't the perfect comparison, but i remember years ago and i know you do too where people were like oh email's dead you know no but nobody's emailing email's going to die all that, all that stuff uh email's still going strong and it's still extremely profitable i don't know much about email marketing but um uh, it's still very profitable i think organic is maybe not quite like that but it's it's just going to hang around probably for for quite a while
1: yeah it's it's really hard to say i i deal i do Still think there's opportunity in search. I do think it's been diminished quite a bit, and I think I, you look yes, at the average age of the stores in this survey, uh, and you know they're definitely older—not older, but intermediate. Probably, I, you know, let's actually let me let me double check here. I think the average uh, years experience for for people in the survey is eight years, so that's not going to yep. be just for their site, but uh, let's say you know, discount that, say five or six years. You know, that's five or six years that that they have to build up a, a domain authority and a yeah. backlink profile. Yeah. And it's. I think it's getting a lot harder. It is. That the, the search rankings are getting more entrenched, and not that you can't break in, but man, I wouldn't want to start today from ground zero. I mean, I think no, if
0: it, yeah, if that's your go-to market strategy, oh. SEO, that's how we're launching. Uh, good luck. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is interesting, and I know, and I'm, I'm glad you brought out the 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 age of the the store owner because uh, just give a quick comparison. Um, are you going to IRC this year? By the way,
1: no, I'm not. Unfortunately, I won't be there. All good. So, but
0: anyway, IRC Internet Retailer. A uh, convention, uh, expo, whatever. Uh, you know, talking to people there. A lot of those are are long time e commerce stores, mm-hmm. big e commerce stores. They would still definitely fall into the category of, of your the people you're surveying, where organic traffic is still very significant. You go to something like a traffic and conversion summit, right? Which is an awesome event. I love that event. And people are talking much more about Facebook and YouTube and things like that because you've got new stores, new ideas, new products, and the go-to-market fast strategy kind of needs to be paid now. So yeah, that's a really important nuance. Um, SEO is a long haul, long play. Can't rely on that exclusively, which again kind of leads you to you better
1: have good margins, man. You better have good margins to make this thing work. Yeah, I think you can. I think you can still do it. It's just, it's just a lot of work. You got to be really dialed in on SEO, and you got to be, you know, you have a multi-year time horizon for it. So absolutely, absolutely. Uh,
0: everyone's favorite topic: sales tax. Uh, <laughs> any any thoughts, insights on sales tax? I know we don't want to dig into that too much because that's a pretty sticky subject. But but uh, yeah, any insights there?
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, so, so the big question I did ask is, are you submitting, are you compliant with all the FBA nexus sales tax rules? So if, if you're not familiar, there's this concept, a legal concept of of nexus. And a lot of people argue. And,
0: do do you, want expl- you want to explain that? Because that, that, that is an interesting concept.
1: Yeah. Uh, so. That's, I know. Yeah, so explain the concept of nexus. Of nexus, yeah. Yeah, so nexus is if you have a... Nexus is if you have a business present in a certain location, usually a state if we're talking about the US. And so if you do, if you have Nexus or a business presence in a state, then you have to collect sales tax in that state. Which which Uh, could mean
0: you have an office, you have inventory sitting in that state. mm -hmm. Uh, Even in the state of California, God bless them, uh, do a certain amount of business there, at least for for service-based companies. Uh,
1: So yeah, really, really interesting. Um, So yeah. Yeah, and there's there's multiple types of nexus. Like there's a big Supreme Court uh, case recently, South Dakota versus which Wayfair, which kind of opened up the doors, like you said, uh, to to where nexus could be created not by having employees, not by having business, but by actually just by doing a certain amount of business with customers, even if you have no physical presence in that state. And the other side that that e-commerce sellers often worry about is, especially on Amazon, is Nexus created by having inventory in an Amazon warehouse in those states. Yes. So you send a, a inventory into Amazon, they usually a lot of times break it up into multiple fulfillment centers. And if they send it to, let's say, I mean, you're in Missouri, let's say they send it to, to uh to Georgia, to Florida, and California, y- you with a, by, based on some arguments, now have Nexus in those states and, and you should be filing, collecting sales tax for all your residents there. And so anyway, the question I asked... Was how many people are actually complying with this and submitting sales tax for what I call FBA ne- you know, uh, FBA nexus? And the answer was, you know, very few people. Less than a quarter of people were collecting tax in all the areas where they had uh, inventory in Amazon.
0: Interesting. So,
1: yeah, and I didn't do the and- economic nexus one, which is a whole other ballpark. But I think the the bottom line is like a lot of these. There's still a lot of people who are not compliant, and it's just it's just it, because you know it's, it's kind of a mess of an issue,
0: so it's not easy to do. I mean, you you almost you need a third party in a lot of cases, you know, an Avalara or a tax jar or something like that to kind of help you. And then there's also the issue of, of does this fall on uh, uh, Amazon or is it on the seller? You know, just all, all kinds of questions there. That's interesting though that you said only 25 percent were uh, actually complying, just shy like 24.4,
1: yeah, 25. So interesting.
0: we'll see we'll see where that goes. I mean, I, I'm guessing with most people, it's not a wait and see mentality, but maybe just like, I'm not really sure
1: what to do. It's uh, it's a hard issue. And actually, uh, if it's okay, Brad, uh, I just did a, a podcast with someone who's got like 10, 20 years of sales tax experience. Oh, absolutely. Experience. Yeah. So uh, did that came out today. Maybe we can link up to that. And he talked a lot about like, you know, is FBA nexus like, is there legal precedent for that? How much mm-hmm. should you be worried? You know, what? Um, what if you're not compliant? All the all the questions you have if you're in this space, of which there are many, uh, he he addresses them with with authority and expertise, which I don't have on the topic. And so we can just <laughs> link over to him.
0: Yeah, let's yeah. do that. So uh, I will link to the show notes, absolutely. But if, in case someone wants to search for it, what's what's the guest name and and uh, rough title?
1: Yeah. So if you just search for uh, it's on the e-commerce fuel website, and if you go to eCommerce fuel and go to the podcast page, uh, the title is "Making Sense of the Sales." Tax Nightmare. And his name, uh, the guest name is Michael Fleming. And so uh, com forward slash understanding dash ecommerce dash sales dash tax should get you there.
0: Sweet. So check it out. Um, not a fun topic, right? Much more fun to talk about some of these other stats and marketing and cool stuff like that. It's, right, it's, fun, to, it's fun to stay out of jail
1: though, right? Like, that's,
0: yeah, that's it's, <laughs> it's definitely fun to stay out of jail or to get that surprise bill of, hey, you owe back taxes now for the last four years. It's yeah. going to be a million dollars. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, so, all good. You got to be prepared there for sure. Um, cool. Well, well uh, now that we went down that route, uh, let's, let's bounce back and talk marketing. A couple, couple more things um, from the survey related to ads and marketing specifically that I want to talk about. And then and something fun that you did that I want to talk about too. Um, so, most popular ad source versus most effective ad source. What what interesting things did you find there in the survey?
1: Yeah, this is new for this year, but I was trying to get a sense of what people are spending, what channels people are spending most of their time chasing for, for visibility. And so uh, ask people to just rank, what are you doing in general? Uh, are you doing this or not doing it? And the top five most popular, email marketing, not a surprise, uh, over two-thirds of people doing that. Facebook ads, 57% of people using Facebook ads. AdWords, about the same. Uh, SEO, 55% of people. Instagram, 49 And those are the top five most popular tactics for marketing. But I also wanted to look at, at most effective because as you know, mm-hmm. like the, you know just because it's most popular doesn't mean it's the, the thing that's returning the best for you. And so what I did is I looked at the number of people that said that they were using a tactic. And then I asked of those people, how many said a certain tactic was the most effective? And the one that came out the most as the most effective channel wasn't even in the top five most popular. It was Amazon ads. Uh, (laughs) 50% of people using Amazon ads listed it as the most effective thing that they were doing across all of their marketing strategies. Um, Second was email marketing. Third was SEO. Fourth was Google AdWords. And a fifth, like way distant fifth, was Facebook ads at 15%. So... 57% 57% of people are spending time on Facebook ads. 15% say it's their most effective channel. And so uh, I think it just speaks to... Uh, so many people are doing it. I think a lot of people uh, are trying to make it work. And it can work for a lot of people. But a lot of people are not seeing the success that you kind of hear generally in terms of Facebook blowing up a business than some people that, that, that you might expect from how much how much press it gets.
0: Yeah, really interesting. And I, lo- I love that you ask those questions. It's It's fascinating to talk about. I think... Uh, part of that is also the the nature of that ad platform and where it falls in the purchase journey or where it falls in the funnel. If you look at, at Amazon-sponsored product ads as an example, and we, we help companies with those, that's lower in the funnel. You got high purchase intent. You're clicking on those ads because you're actively shopping for a product. If I go to if I run ads on YouTube or, or Facebook and I'm trying to reach someone who's maybe not quite in the market but close, so I'm trying to persuade them and get them to buy my product, the return's going to be lower right because the, the intent isn't there, but it can still be effective so it, it all works together, uh, but yeah that, that is really interesting um, to see kind of that that comparison and contrast of what's most popular versus what's most effective. Um, and so, yeah, but I think I think that's part of the reason. It's kind of where those ad platforms fall into the the journey. Is it kind of is are we generating demand or are we capturing demand, and that that does uh, impact the numbers a little bit.
1: Yeah. So if you're take away, if you're not having a Brett run Amazon ads for you, call him up. Yeah. That
0: was that was my point exactly. <laughs> <Thank
1: you. laughs> not, not what I meant, but uh, good. But yes,
0: <laughs> happy, to, happy to chat for sure.
1: You, Brett, you 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 asked me to make sure I work that in. Is that not what I was? supposed to... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I was like, hey, I'll compliment you on your chainsaw art. You send people my way. We'll, we'll be good. Um, so I want to talk about uh, a really fun metric uh, that, I, that I literally laughed out loud about. And for whatever reason, my wife didn't... She didn't think it was uh, as funny as I did. I thought it was hilarious. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But any other, any other really substantial takeaways from this report? And I will link to this or you can just Google... State of the Merchant 2019 e-commerce fuel. You'll find it. But any other takeaways? Anything else you want to highlight uh, from the from the survey?
1: Yeah, maybe one one final one is just looking at at paid ad costs overall. And yes. For the for the second year, like uh, average CPA went up by 15. percent So, um, you know, ad costs continue to increase, increasing at a pretty consistent rate. But when you break that up above, break that up by the big three: Facebook, Amazon, and Google. Uh, and you look at not only how quickly are the costs increasing, but also what the average return on ad spend is. Facebook is the worst uh, by far. It's The costs are going up the highest at about almost 20% per year, year over year. The return on ad spend is the lowest at about 3.4x on the average. Uh, Amazon's... Uh, you know Amazon and Google are a little closer. Uh, Google, Google's got... I mean, it's, Google's probably the best of all of them. It's returning the highest return in terms of uh, return on ad spend, 5.1x increasing the slowest at 10%. And Amazon's in the middle at 4.6x return on ad spend on average and going up year over year about 16%. So I just thought it was interesting to see how they broke down in terms of you know, how, how quickly they're increasing in price and, and the general return that they give. But that also kind of ties into the story or the, the stats we saw on just Facebook being one of the less effective channels for a lot of people. In it, terms it, of-
0: it is, yeah. And I, and I think part of that has to do well, a lot of factors like, like inventory being at a max with Facebook, so all they can do is, you know, raise prices because the news feed is pretty full and and, and things like that. But it's also I think it has to do with the the maturity of the platform. So as an ad platform, Google is the most mature. You know, and it's one of those things where and I think I think you and I talked about it when I was on your podcast, but you know, we looked at some of our and I think it was maybe a year ago or so we were talking about this, but we looked at some year over year stats for our top spending Accounts and for like Google Shopping, a lot of the CPCs weren't going up. And, and it's, it's probably because like people, it's self regulated because it's an auction. It's kind of gotten to where a lot of it is consistent and people are like not going to pay beyond what they're going to pay when they're bidding on Nike running shoes, you know? So costs will still go up, no doubt, but they're going up at a much slower pace there. Where I think on the Google Ads side, something like YouTube, which we do a lot of YouTube ads, that's younger, like Facebook ads. And it is going up and going to likely increase in cost more rapidly. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting stuff there for sure. And in Amazon, you know, now Amazon's the number three ad platform on the planet, which is crazy. And and costs are going to go up there too. But you got great conversion rates and high return on ad spend. So it's a it's good, good place to be for sure. So, all right, man, killer stuff. Fantastic. Th- thank you, by the way, um, for doing this study so I, know, I know you get benefit out of it too, but what an awesome resource for the community and it's free it's available for people to go and check out which is which is awesome and so appreciate you doing that um, we would be really i'd be really committing almost a crime if we didn't talk about your your kpi your major kpi in this in this survey and actually it's it's interesting because i want i want to discuss the options you threw out there but but what is what does we all know KPI, what it usually means. What what does KPI mean for
1: for you in this survey? Oh, it's just the standard definition, the the Kardashian performance indicator. You know, I think most people know it by. And so, uh, <laughs> is that not, is that not what you usually mean? <laughs> you say KPI?
0: Yeah, yeah. We try to work the Kardashians in the most of our reporting, <laughs> our business growth discussions. For sure.
1: Yeah, you know they they've got a lot of knowledge to drop in that area. They, and do, so, they do. Um, But yeah, so every year I try to to slide something fun and cheeky in because you know you. If you've gotten this far, kudos to you. if we've you know pretty much talked about four billion stats if you keep them straight, and uh, it's kind of fun to have something in the middle to break it up. And so this year, uh, I asked, like what luxury gift would you pick with some outlandish options? Uh, use of a private jet, a three hundred k annual income, excuse me, unlimited use of a private jet for the rest of your life, a three hundred k annual income for life, uh, the ability to have a monthly lunch with anyone in the world, like, Celebrities, heads of state, famous authors, anyone, or your own tropical island and house on, like, you know, about ten acres in the in the Caribbean. And so, those Love are that. the options. And uh, Brett, for what would you pick of those four? Yeah. I want to know
0: what, uh, what the Kardashians would pick and (laughs) like who thinks which of the Kardashians would pick what? So I, I, first of all, I love this question. Uh, it was literally a laugh out loud for me. Uh, it must be nerdy humor. My wife didn't, didn't think it was as funny as me. I thought it was hilarious. Um, so as I looked at it, I mean, it's tempting like the, 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 the unlimited use of a private jet. That's cool. I like to travel and that would be phenomenal to skip the lines and security and, even you're TSA pre-check, it's still painful. Uh, so that that was very tempting. Um, the island, not as much, although that would be cool. Um, I can only spend so much beach time, and I got I got to be active. I got to be doing stuff. For me, it was the lunch. I thought that was so brilliant, like to to be able to have lunch with anybody you wanted once a month. Phenomenal, and um, I will say, not just the experience and 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 getting to meet people. Which, by the way, that that's the main reason I do this podcast. I want to. Like, it's a good excuse to hang out with Andrew Udarian or hang out with Mike Jackness or Austin Bronner or the, those guys. Um, you learn a lot from it. I think you would benefit so much if you could sit down with a billionaire uh, once a month and pick their brain or just, you know, like the, the guys that helped form, um, and I'm drawing a blank on his name, but but the, the head economist, Hal Varian, the head economist that at Google that helped write the um, bidding structure for Google ads. Like that, being able to talk to somebody like that would be phenomenal. So, so I would, I would, without a doubt, pick that uh, as my top choice.
1: But uh, what, what, what about you? Yeah, I, same thing. I, I, when I look at it, uh, I think maybe, maybe this is cheating, but I'm like, okay, 300k. Could I buy unlimited use of a private jet with 300k? Maybe not unlimited, but you could get a lot of travel in. Could I buy yeah. a tropical island with like 300k? Could probably, you know, save up for a while and make the payments on it, but you can't buy access to people nope. like that. You nope. know, like you, yep. I mean, think about Warren Buffett, uh, lunch with him is, you know, they auction off every year and he goes for millions. And so for me, hands down, I'd go with the lunch. Yep. Writing. Yep.
0: I thought so. I thought you'd pick that. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. I think, I think it totally makes sense. I was listening to, uh, the podcast. That I like uh, capitalism.com, Ryan, Daniel Moran, shout out there, uh, to a gentleman named David. I'm trying to blank on his name, but, uh, uh, Net worth of 250 million, something like that. I mean, largest Keller Williams real estate um, franchisee, and all kinds of other business. But like, just hearing him talk about his mindset towards money and business growth and what he does—like, dude, if you if you could meet somebody like that once a month and spend time with them and ask them questions, that you go buy a couple private islands in a, in a few years, you know, and uh, and it'd be be well worth it. It'd be a lot of fun too. I like I like the experience as
1: well. The, the funny thing is though. Uh, two-thirds of people picked the 300k annual income only 12 thirteen percent picked the, the lunch with anyone so
0: yeah uh, I, do, I' mean you know I don't mind it that's it's a good it's a good income and stuff but
1: but uh, it's like I'd take 300k I guess I would take it if people gave it to me <laughs>
0: tempting. <laughs> tempting for sure well it's been awesome man so uh, obviously ecommercefuel.com and the podcast anything else specific you want to point out any other, specific episodes or resources or things people should go check out about you and
1: or your community? I don't think so. I just, you know, if if you like podcasts, uh, like you said, uh, do a weekly one about e-commerce and a bi-weekly. Every couple of weeks, we do a kind of a news roundup, uh, cheeky NPR style, you know, eight minute take on the news from the last two weeks for e-commerce. And then, uh, and then also just our community. If you're doing, high, you know, seven figures plus in e-commerce revenue, uh, we've got a thousand vetted members and, yeah just it's it's experienced fun respectful people talking about what's working what's not and uh, and building a community around that so uh, if either of those sound interesting ecommercefuel.com, you can learn about both of them so got to
0: got to check it out i'm a huge believer in masterminds and communities of smart people i think that's one of the if not the quickest ways to uh, increase your ability to perform and grow and scale and operate a business and all those things is being around the right people. And doing that in person is super valuable, mm-hmm. uh, which you offer that opportunity, but also doing that virtually is, is super powerful. So just observing and being in the e-commerce field community, when someone posts a question or a topic or a thought, like it, the, the number of people that chime in to that and share useful, open, transparent insights is pretty phenomenal. Uh, so it, it's an awesome community, no doubt. Awesome, thanks, man. I appreciate
1: you. uh, Appreciate you taking the time to let me on the show, man. I mean, let me run wild on your on your show is
0: crazy, man. We covered all kinds of. We talked. We talked uh, basketball. We talked Kardashians. We talked. uh, This this was this was epic. This was good. So, anyway, Andrew, appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. This was a blast. We will have to do it again. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it, Brad. Awesome. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of. We'd love show ideas from you. And until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more, or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on, let's talk to request that free strategy session, or click on, resources and guides and pick the guide that's right for you and now back to the show